pray. Let's pray. And as we pray, would you pray with me that God will, through this class, work in your marriage? And as you pray that, would you ask that God will work first in your heart? Start with you. And then would you pray for our church and any of the marriages that are in trouble because there are always marriages in trouble. Some of them might be in here, I don't know, but we're just going to be real about that. Maybe there's other people on your heart this morning that are, you know, maybe aren't even believers, but you're burdened and you just pray for some people that are marriages in trouble. And that we would enjoy our time together, but that we would benefit and that God would be glorified. Amen? Father, thank you for each one here this morning as we come before you as sinners saved by the grace of God. Pray that is the testimony of every individual heart here this morning. Thank you for the other class. Honor Isaiah and Dave as they lead first John. And as we come to the topic of that which is precious to you, we ask that we would have tender hearts, um, humble hearts to the word, obedient hearts, and thankful hearts, thankful hearts. You'll be pleased with the time that we would spend together in these next few weeks and have your good work. You're always at work, always at work in our lives, and that the work would be good and profitable and we'd be strengthened because it is your desire, we know, as believers that our marriages would put you on display. And we desire that. And we pray these things in the matchless name of our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and all his people said, amen. Come on, just fill it in over here. So, take your Bible and turn to James 1.17 for us to get started. Welcome to this class. We want our time together, always first and foremost of all that God would be glorified in our time together through our response to the word and our hearts. I want to start with reminding us in James 1.17, many of you didn't need to turn there because you remember 1.17 that says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. Would that include marriage? Yes, a little better yes. Would that include marriage? Gift of God, gift of God for you to have a husband, gift of God for you to have a wife from God in his, in his goodness. We want to uh, enjoy our time together. We want to be reminded of our marriages as a gift, and they are a temporary gift this side of eternity. And we don't have any, uh, we don't have any, 
claims to what that's going to be in terms of time that we have together. So we want it to count for God's sake. And Ecclesiastes 9.9, isn't this a great, a great verse? Enjoy life with the woman you have all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given to you under the sun. For this is your reward in life. And in your toil in which you have labored under the sun, enjoy life together. Fleeting life. Fleeting. How much time do we have together yet? Hardest thing that I think is one of the hardest things that ever happened to me was to marry a couple and mar- bury him within a year of uh, their lives together. Um, we don't know how much time that we have together. We want to make it count for the Lord's, uh, for his, his glory and enjoy our lives, enjoy the gift that he's, that he's uh, given to us. In uh, thinking about this class and talking about some things, Deborah and I uh, got the photo albums out the other day. First, uh, photo albums is a thing with pictures in it, when, you know, and the wedding pictures and the, all the photos that we took, pictures we took early on. Don't do that so much anymore, but early on in our, in our marriage. And we were reminded so much, man, has this, time, has this time ever gone fast? And all the folks in the back should say amen. Amen. The year is just, wow, wow. Wish we could do a lot of it over. I want to give you some definitions of marriage that I think are very excellent. My friend Ernie Godshell says marriage is a binding covenant. We've expressed that in vows, right? We've expressed it in vows. Created, or we could say instituted, instituted by God, excuse me, between one man and one woman. We declare that today based upon the scriptures, right? For our holiness, for our joy, as a picture of the gospel to the spread to spread the glory of God. Isn't that a great definition? Just look at it with me again. Binding covenant expressed in our vows as designed by God, one man, one woman, for our holiness and for our joy as a picture, display of the gospel to the spread of the glory, glory of God. Stuart Scott says marriage is God's primary provision for the believer's sanctification. Two sinners under the same roof. And to grow, to grow together. I caught a, um, have some Luther quotes, but I just glancing at something again this morning. Luther said, Martin Luther said, marriage is the school of character. The school of character. Interesting. Sanctification. Then Stuart Scott says, children are called sanctifiers. Right? Said you wanted to grow and God gave you a child. Calvin, marriage is not a thing ordained by men. We know that God is the author of it and that it is made holy, solemnized in his name. The scripture says that it is a holy covenant and therefore calls it divine. Luther, yeah, here's my quotes by Martin Luther. He says, the first love is drunken. (laughs) 
just an assignment for the men later on today. Men, listen carefully. Later today, I want you to look at your wife, look into her eyes, and tell her that you are absolutely intoxicated with the wine of her love. Wives, go ahead and remind your husbands to do that, okay? We are going to have fun in here a little bit, aren't we? Okay? He says, the first love is drunken. When the intoxication wears off, then comes real marriage love. True, isn't it? True, isn't it? Premarital counseling, some of the assignments, you know, for for instance, one of the things we do is try to uh, talk about speaking the truth in love and speaking truth not in love. So I ask him to take a situation, you know, the husband getting ready that morning and going to be newlyweds, and, and he comes out and he's, he's dressed like a clown, you know, different wrong colors and just looks terrible. And, and so I'll say to the, uh, to the young gal, gauge to the man, I'll say, okay, I want you to uh, speak the truth to him about how he looks but without love. And the people that I'm doing premarital counseling with, they usually go, no, I just can't do it. I can't do it. (laughs) And then I do a six-month checkup, and they say, hey, you want to do that one again? (laughs) Right? Let the wife make the husband glad to come home and let him make her sorry to see him leave. There is no more lovely, friendly, and charming relationship, communion or company, than a than a good than a good marriage. So let's take our Bibles and turn to Genesis two. To Genesis chapter two, and for a few moments, start right there at the beginning today. And as you're turning there, Joe, you're such a good servant. Will you pass these out, if you would, okay? And uh, probably one to couple, per couple, or individual. Genesis chapter 2. I would have passed those out earlier, but if I'd passed them out earlier, you'd be reading that and you wouldn't be listening to me, right? <clears throat> okay, while he's doing that, let's look at the text. 2.15, let's start there. Genesis 2.15. One per couple, which means you have to share. Those of you who say, I want my own couple, I, uh, my own copy, I don't like to share, raise your hand right now. I want to just, there you are. Okay, Adam, Deborah. Deborah. <laughs> That's why you're sitting in the front row, dear. Verse 15, here we go. Genesis 2 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. It's good to remember that God instituted work for the good of man, and work is not a result of the fall. Work is good for men and women. Amen? Verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, 
But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone, and I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to all the birds of the sky, and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of the ribs, and he closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man, and brought her to the man, and the man said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Adam and Adama. Ish and Isha, those two words, man and woman. Verse 24, for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Total innocence. I've uh, wanted to read with you from, and there's an excellent section on gender and marriage that is a comment on the text we just read specifically with reference to marriage and the giving of Eve to Adam. This is in uh, Mayhew and MacArthur's one volume of theology, and it is just an individual section on this particular topic. And frankly, I've never read anything that's, that's better on just an overview of that particular text and a reminder for all of us. So I thought it could be profitable for you to have that and for us to read it together. Could we do that? Just starting at the beginning, just reminding of ourselves of God's intent. So just follow along as I read the section on gender and marriage right from a, from a theology. Male and female were created for relationship, not isolation. As God evaluated the newly created male, he said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. A perfect corresponding counterpart is the idea. Corresponding counterpart. So God would make a helper, a heir, to assist him, to assist Adam. The other creatures were wonderful, but they were not suitable for the man. Desire for human companionship is thus not faulty as if it were a post-fall development. Adam was not wrong for desiring human companionship, and it is not a challenge to man's relationship with God. God desired and designed humans for relationships. And when God made the woman for Adam, from Adam's rib, and he brought her before the man, and Adam then exclaimed, This at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Adam immediately realized that the woman was the suitable companion for him. His incompleteness gave way to wholeness. This woman was like him. She was bone of his bones, flesh of his flesh. Yet she was different. 
She was designed to complete him and bring fulfillment to his life. She brought femininity to, com- to complement his masculinity. And, her, and he named her woman because she came out of man. Genesis 2.24 then summarizes God's intent for man and woman. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The marriage relationship involves leaving father and mother to become one flesh in marriage. The term for leave is forceful and means abandon or forsake. Also, the word for hold fast means strong personal attachment and devotion. It is later used to describe how Israel should show its commitment to God. But you shall cling to the Lord your God. The result of this marital clinging is becoming one flesh. This unity certainly involves the sexual union at the heart of, one, of the oneness, as well as the children who are from two. Yet it goes deeper so that as to involve mutual dependence in all areas of life. Oneness and intimacy should permeate the relationship. In a few weeks here, I will be saying again to a young couple um, on the basis of the, uh, of the authority of the state of Indiana and on the basis of the higher authority of God himself from his word, I now pronounce you one flesh and what they suddenly are before God positionally They're going to spend the rest of their time that God gives them together to become practically that unit, that team, that oneness, and that that relationship as they grow together, first in their relationship with the Lord and then in their relationship with one another, to become close and and an effective team and serving, serving better, serving better. They shouldn't get married unless they determine they can serve better together than in staying apart. And then in so doing, that that continual growth together and complementing one another and being a great team for the Lord Jesus Christ to be a reflection of the gospel. But that's what we're continually at in our marriages. doesn't happen in spite of us. It happens because of us. But everything gets back to our relationship with the Lord. We all know the example of the pyramid, don't we? And then the closer that we get to to the Lord Jesus Christ, the closer that we become with reference to one another. One more thing about this. One more thing. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. When they're married, I will tell that young couple, they can live, they can live too close to mom and dad, but they can't live too far away. And the reason that I say that is because of this particular text. They need to build their lives together with one another. And not um, years ago, just by way of example, very godly. I will, I will definitely say very godly couple in our church um, really are precious people. They're with the Lord now, so I can just tell you this. And uh, married their daughter uh, to, uh, to a young man and went through all the premarital counseling stuff with them. And then uh, he was going to still be in school. So that dear couple, in, in their care for their kids, said, you can live with us. 
you can live with us this first year for you to finish school and that'll take care of you. You don't have the rent, you know, and you don't have eat here and, and we'll help you out in that way. And I'm here to tell you, um, that didn't work. That didn't work to such a degree. I'm not saying it always will be this case. Well, that, would, that didn't work to such a degree that that young couple is not together today. It created real chaos in terms of where was the authority and how we do things and on I could go this morning simply because I allowed that young couple because of the godliness of those parents and they were godly people. But that, that truth was violated and therefore um, created some real chaos. And apparently our uh, kids, uh, at least our daughter, took us seriously because she moved to South America on us with her husband. Okay? Mm-hmm. And the only one that said, we're not going to live that, we're going to live farther away than that is the one that just lives a couple miles <laughs> from us. <laughs> Marriage is a gracious and good institution from God. See where we're at? Middle of the page. Marriage is a gracious and good institution from God. It is intended to be a blessing. 1 Peter 3, 7 calls it the grace of life. By the way, it says joint heirs together of this grace of life. Proverbs 18.22, I expect all the men, a good amen here. Proverbs 18.22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Matthew 19.4 through 6, Jesus reaffirmed the one flesh union of man and woman in marriage. Paul also says, but because of the temptation of sexual immorality, each should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. 1 Corinthians 7.2. I don't know what CIR is. Corinthians. <laughs> they take me literally on my terrible spelling. Ultimately, by the way, I appreciate Beth and Lydia so much help put this stuff together. Thank you. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that with reference to Christ and to the church. Marriage should illustrate the loving relationship of Christ and his church with a husband loving his wife as Christ loved the church. And the wife responding to her husband's loving leadership as the church responds to Christ. Though marriage is subject to the curse after the fall of man, Christians under the control of the Holy Spirit should experience peaceful productive, and fulfilled marriages. Believers must marry only other believers. Marriage has only one definition, and it is sanctioned by God, the union of one man, one woman. Marriage is to be a public, formal, and officially recognized covenant between a man and a woman. And I'd like to just put by that word public, I'd like to put the word church, church, in the testimony of the church of the, of the vows that they're taking, and formal. And I'd like to just remind us that while today weddings tend to be social events, and they sure are worthy of celebrating, amen, but before they're social events, they're sacred events. And if God is ever present at any time, it is at a wedding where two people before God are making a covenant before him of their commitment to one another. So it is a sacred time as well, although much of that has been lost in our, our present day. Okay, I thought we were doing this book.
Yes, we are. Our guide in this class is going to be Dave Harvey's book, I Still Do. You do not have to buy it, but you can if you would like, and there are copies in the book center. And our approach is that I mentioned to you that different uh, ones, pastor is going to, in a couple of weeks, he'll be up, and then uh, others of the elders, we're involving both of us and all the elders, each one, to take a particular chapter um, of the book and uh, the, the different segments in the book that he calls uh, key defining moments um, in, in our lives. And also, each one of the uh, person, whichever pastor or elders is going to uh, lead that chapter, you're going to have to see a photo of their, of their wedding day, okay? They have to put that up there. If they don't put that up there, they're going to have to buy donuts for the whole class. Remember that I, that I said that, okay? And I'm interested, I'm interested to find out if Marshall had that full beard on his wedding day. What do you think? I, I, I'm interested to find out. Um, about him, but that's one of the things that they have to do. The other thing that I'm going to warn you about is that um, before I tried to get us all down in particular dates that will work for everybody, before I started that, I had a full head of hair, okay? And then trying to lock in the different guys. We got guys that are gone, you know, on their work and different events, so it's, we're shuffling around a bit. So we will tell you week to week what chapter, if you're if, if you're getting the book, we'll tell you ahead of time what chapter we're going to be in, and it may not follow the order of the book, but that's okay because the book is set up that it doesn't have to go, you know, particular week by week. By week. So that's going to be our, our, our plan, and we're just kind of introducing this, um, introducing it today. Um, all right. Now, this book is a follow-up to this book, okay? Don't read that. Look here. <laughs> Say, don't do that, then you want to read it, amen? Now, you see, when Kim and I were first married, this is a quote from Pastor, and I'm just kidding you, okay? Okay? Now, Paul Harvey's wife, his name is Kim, right? But sin, when sinners say I do is a... You know, when I'd ask different guys, when I go different places, I like to ask them, okay, good books and so forth. And this is considered one of the best books on marriage, really, that has been written apart from the scriptures themselves. Many use it in premarital counseling. We've gone through it here as a church, just as a marriage class uh, before. And um, it, it just really helps us uh, deal with issues in marriage and encourages us in our commitment to one another. Dave Harvey. Um, wrote this, I think, the early um, 200s, whatever. And the book, or 2000s, okay, <laughs> 20 years ago, when he was just a child. Okay, this book was written um, 10 years after this one, and this book was written when they were married, as they were married 35 years, and going, I think they're still Still at it today, okay? So this is down the line, and he is um, stopping, and the, he's going to be focusing in the book what we call um, defining moments um, in, in marriage. And he explains to us the purpose of writing it. Okay, here we go. He says, when Kim and I were first married, I remember being baffled by the ways 
I behaved and the conflicts we experienced. I remember thinking, what's happening here? Am I possessed? Or wait, is she possessed? Oh Lord, is our marriage cursed? I mean, if marriage is so good, why do we seem to make each other feel so bad? And over time we discussed that saying, I do is a defining experience. Getting married opens your luggage. And when that happens, the sin inside can foul the air and soil the relationship. To ignore sin's reality and potency is to deny the very reason Jesus lived and died and rose on the third day. So because of that, because of that, he said, then I wrote when sinners say I do to help couples engage newlyweds or in crisis and to understand that when sin becomes bitter, Christ becomes sweet and marriage gets pretty sweet too. So he's telling us why he wrote when sinners say I do. Um, I want to go back here for a moment. So, yeah, there's the time frame with reference to that. Now, I, I want us to just recognize just for a moment, speaking about that. And when you read this particular book, you think, wow, my, oh my. You're just coming down on, with reference. This seems like there's so much struggles and so much that relates to us hurting each other and offending one another and letting each other down. And, and I, I, I just want us to recognize this morning that we need to, and we work hard at that in premarital, and we trust we work hard at that in our marriages. We, we recognize, we as believers, we recognize our sin, and we want to take ownership of our sin when we sin, knowing how to deal with our sin God's way. And that's why I bounced ahead for a moment, and that's why in our marriages we have to live Ephesians 4.32, Right? Right? We have to live that, or we're in real trouble. We have to work at being kind to one another. But most of all, we have to work at being right with the Lord and being right with one another, forgiving each other. And I'm saying we we not only need to know how to take ownership of our sin, but we need to know how to deal with our sin the right way and to do it God's way, biblically, as couples. And there are a whole lot of other issues relating to marriage. I get it. That's where he's going. That's where we're going in the book. But this is a big issue. And when we do it right to the glory of God, we stay right. We keep current, as the book of Ephesians says. And every time, every time in the midst of when things are not right between Deborah and I and we seek to get forgiveness God's way, we we are living the gospel. When we get right with one another as believers, or we do forgiveness God's way as husband and wife, we are living the gospel. Because the gospel is the basis for us to be right with God and to remain right with one another. Amen? And I don't know how long you go without sinning, but I need First John every day of my life. Now, I don't plan on it. I don't plan on sinning. I really don't. Neither do you, right? But I know I'm a selfish person. And that surfaces, even among other ways in our marriage. I have to to practice the ABCs of dealing with sin in my own life. I acknowledge it. I have to blame nobody but myself, and I have to confess it. 
and even do more with reference to repenting of it and progressing out of it. In fact, um, another book that we have addressed here is the fact of what makes a Christian home truly Christian. What makes a Christian home truly Christian? How many of you have more than five Bibles in your home? Raise your hand. You have a Christian home. Okay, how many of you have praying hands on the wall? If you do, you don't want to admit it, do you? How many of you have, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord on your wall? Oh, there, there you are, okay. What makes a Christian home Christian? Best part of the book of Jay Adams, Christian living in the home. I think, I think some of you, I could ask you to give this from premarital counseling, but Christians admit their sins. Yeah, we do. We know what we are. If we say that we have no sin, we make God a, and the what? It's not in us. Yeah. So Christians admit their sins. Christians know what to do about their sin. You see, well, this is so fundamental. Oh, but it's so imperative. So imperative. We know what to do about our sin. Acknowledge it. Confess it. Repent of it. And third, he says, Christians progress out of their sin. Here we go now. That's why we have a class on marriage. We know how to come out of that, get better from it. Where there is spiritual life, says Adams, there will also be spiritual growth. No Christian can remain the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. A fundamental presupposition of the Christian faith is that there will be growth out of sin into righteousness. There we go. So that's what makes a Christian home Christian. There's more. There certainly is more. But that's primary. And if we don't have that right, then we're, we're in trouble. Do you suppose it's possible to have a fight over how to bag leaves in marriage? What was she thinking telling me I, how to bag leaves? We look back upon that. To our shame, to our shame. Here I am a pastor preaching the word, we're struggling through things. Yeah, hey, I admit it, and yeah, I'm sorry, and, and uh, I apologize, world's terminology, world's terminology. But we had baggage that just kept kind of floating around in the house. Again and again. And I will tell you this morning that it took Deborah and I really about the seventh year into our marriage, am I right, Deborah? To really, based upon study of the Scriptures and how to deal with our sin properly, to be able to go, to go to her and say, hey, this is what I've done, will you forgive me? And for her to say, I forgive you, and what that means for her to not throw that back in my face or not dwell on it and not call my mother and say, why did you let me marry that monster and so forth, right? And to do it right and to be right, get right, and stay right with one another and press on. We were doing some uh, marriage counseling with a couple that were just struggling in how to de- deal with all of the baggage and shared some of this. It took us about seven years. doesn't have to take anybody seven years to do so, but for us, uh, to our shame, seven years into our marriage, really beginning where we, hey, we're gonna, we've, we've got to be humble, and I've got I've to deal with the biggest problem in my marriage, and that biggest problem starts right in my own heart, in my own sin, getting that down. As we're dealing with that couple, they've been married four years. They looked at one another and said, praise God, we only got three more years to go to get this (laughs) thing straightened out. They literally said that. 
Okay? But there's a lot more, a lot more with reference to that, but we've got to do, we've got to do that right. So he said, so I was thinking. Here we go. Here we go. So he says, I was thinking, this is from the book now, an introduction. I got to thinking, as marriage grow and age, what defining moments do they experience? Defining moments, that's a key thing. That's the whole point of the book, chapter by chapter. For instance, one of those defining moments uh, Justin Lowe, Elder Justin Lowe is going to deal with is I think it's about chapter 6, or it's defining moment number 6 in here, and it is uh, with reference to when your wife suffers and what you can learn about that and the benefits of it with reference just by way of example. And he says, hey, they're defining moments. What are the unique points of trouble and transformation? Job said man is born for trouble as sure as sparks fly upward. So we're going to have trouble and we're gonna, God wants, to, wants to, to bring change into our lives. We could, we could throw in there the word, word trials, right? Trials come to our marriage or even trials in our marriage that visit us our marriages as our marriages mature. And as we navigate the realities of job and financial challenges and keeping our heads above water in the kiddie years, raised te- teenagers or adults, children, emptiness, suffer, age, or preparing for final goodbyes. What moments define a dur- durable marriage? In other words, he's saying there's a whole lot more than us just dealing with our sin. So he said later on, I'm writing this book to tell you about some of those defining moments. The life-changing experiences, events, and decisions that determine and sometimes alter your whole direction with reference to, to our marriage. Like I said, trials, challenges, decisions, heartaches, circumstances, burdens, things that come into our marriage we've not planned for. And when we stop and we think biblically about this, we understand God rules over his world and our lives and our marriages. He is sovereign. And whatever is going on in our marriage, we, we know we want to think biblically, and God has a purpose in trials and troubles in our lives. Draw us closer to him, and in the process of drawing us as married people closer to him, closer to one another, and that the gospel would be put on display in our marriage in terms of how we handle life. So it can be something as silly and little as how to bag leaves versus some of the people, some are even here this morning, that know what it's like to outlive a child. And will that make you better? Or the flip side, what do we say? It'll make you bitter. Bitter. There are those, there are those defining moments. Deborah got a uh, text from our daughter in South America Uh, This morning, we've been praying for Doug. He didn't feel well this week, and he was to speak at a conference. I thought, I think he spoke three times yesterday. Probably was supposed to speak wherever he was at again this morning, and uh, not feeling well. That's quite a quite a challenge. And then she texted and said, "Hey, what a day this morning! No electricity, no hot water, and most of all, no coffee." (laughs) Defining moment. I don't know how they'll. But interesting, right? So, Deborah and I spent some time just thinking about that with reference to our own, our own marriage and our own relationship. And those of 
you that are toward the back, the more um, time that God allows us to be together, the more we could look back and see about different particular circumstances or events or things that were really defining moments, I guess, from his definition. And we, we came up with 10. This was good for us to think about. The big thing, when we think about these, these moments, all I think is, I wish there was a do-over. Here's just an example of a couple of them, okay? One was, we'd been married about a year. We were new in the faith and new in our marriage, and we'd always lived close to family or within a 50-mile radius our first year when we lived in Dubuque, Iowa. We grew up in Wisconsin, but we're just within 50 miles away from home. So weekends, we'd be back with friends, and we'd be spend it with family and so forth. But in that, final, in that year, likewise, I finished my last year of college, took a job with a company that located us to the big city of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And so we moved, we loaded up the truck, and we moved to Beverly, okay? And we got there, and whoa, all of a sudden it hit, we're alone. We're alone. It was, it was different. That's just a, a change, but we look back upon that, and that, was a, that uh, impacted us in terms of, okay, now we're just, just us two. You know, how are we going to do? Um, at the same time, just another defining moment, which certainly there are people here that can identify with this, we're going to start a family, and we're all excited about the fact that Deborah's pregnant, and we're letting the family know, and, ooh, this is going to be exciting, and, and she miscarried. And um, that was a crisis for us, wanting to start a family. How did we respond? What was God doing? How did, you, how did that grow us closer together? And I've, I've even learned some things about that particular event, even in the last, even in the last year, what that was like, like for Deborah. Uh, maybe I'll just give you um, one other. Um, yeah, death of parents. That was, that was serious. Both of us are very close to our parents. My dad went home to be with the Lord about... Four, four years ago. Okay, that's mom's still alive, but uh, this dementia stuff is ugly. Her parents, though, have both passed away, and we were very close to parents. You know, does that cause you to stop and reflect upon the fact that life is a vapor and so much time together? And and uh, how does that how does that impact us? How does that impact us? And how will that? Uh, draws closer to the Lord. So there are things like that. He's got a number of them. Each chapter relates to them. There's also other influences that impact our marriages. And I'm going to call this smaller luggage. You know, he talks, we open up the luggage and we discover we're both sinners. Uh, Deborah did share with me, when I share some of these things, you probably, now I know why you're not teaching every Sunday, okay? But we were talking about um, early on, first year, and she said it somewhat caught her by surprise that within the first year of our marriage, there were some things to her that I wanted her to change and work on. See, I knew she married a perfect man, and she wasn't there yet. Okay? 
So he shared that, and just talking about that, she said it just kind of caught her by surprise. And I said, did you convey some things, because I'm sure her list was longer than mine. Did you convey some things to me that you wanted to be work on, wanted me to work on? And you know what she said? She said, no, I was scared to. That's not good, is it? You say, well, you sure got a rotten marriage. What are you doing teaching this morning, right? But you can identify, I'm sure, with some of this stuff. If not, then you have the perfect marriage, right? Wish I could go back, be more sensitive to that. Well, here's a, this is smaller luggage, okay? We all have deeply ingrained habits. That's part of how God created us, Right? And we want to learn good habits. But we, we bring habits into our marriage. And some of those habits are good, and some of those habits are a little better. They are. And some of those habits can even irritate. And there's a way that small luggage can get to be bigger luggage if we don't deal with it the right way, right? And we truly serve and we love one another. We have deeply ingrained habits. Whew, we bring them into marriage. And they can be interesting. My, my dear wife, by the way, I want to establish this. This is not biblical. Popcorn is not a meal. No, it isn't. Popcorn is not a meal. You won't find that in the Bible, popcorn being a meal. Okay? But my... My wife eats popcorn with three fingers. What is that? Many popcorn with your whole hand, amen? She says, if I would learn to use three fingers, I wouldn't make as much noise when I eat the popcorn. Now, we can have fun with this, but you know what I'm talking about. Let's get on to the next one and on to your marriage, okay? We come from different backgrounds. Man, I, our families did things differently. That can be, these are just stuff that we bring into this thing called marriage. We are uniquely impacted by the examples of others. Deborah had a sister-in-law that was key in your life, being a wife and mom. We have good examples and we have bad examples. And if we're not careful, we want to use the bad examples that were in our life to excuse ourselves from our sin. We don't want to do that. We have different likes and dis- di- dislikes, preferences. It's not all bad, but it's true. I have th- 58. Are you ready for a number here? Just kidding. We possess individual personalities. Now, in the book, one of the things that he does is that he talks about the impact upon his life and his family that I just want to mention here. In the fact that his family that he came from were, um, were not feelers. They were doers. And they didn't show a lot of emotion. Oh, man, it's quarter two. I've got to come back to that next week. We have, by design, different perspectives on things. We don't always agree about everything. Check? 
So I want to back up for just a moment. Turn to Philippians. Wrap this up. We'll come right back next week, okay? Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. This is where we want to begin in our marriages, and this is where we want to end in our marriages because the Lord Jesus Christ came not into this world not to be served, but to what? To serve, supreme servant. Philippians 2, look with me. Excuse me. Where am I at? James, yet. Verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Verse 5, have this life or way of thinking or attitude or manner that was in Christ Jesus be in you. What hurts our marriages? Selfishness. What builds our marriages? Being a Christ-like servant. Amen? And then I want to just close with the best quote of the next chapter I'm going to come back to next week which would be just the first chapter in the book after the introduction. I thought this was a great quote. Marriage is a quest toward knowing the com- complex gift God gave you and your spouse. You are to learn who they are as a whole person so that you can skillfully love and care for them. And that's our desire. Can you say amen? Father, thank you for the time we've had this morning and that I ask as we pick it up next week, Lord, that we continue to dive into the reality of who we are and what you've done in our lives. And yes, you've changed us. But yes, at the same time, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And we ask that we would have tender hearts to become more like him and to bring that to our marriage, that our marriages will be on display and that the gospel we preach would be the gospel that we live in our homes. And for your glory, we pray this. And everybody said, amen.